0: Hey, did you know it's almost time for Wartstock? Join us at Warner Park on Sunday, May 21st from 11 to 7. We'll have a wide variety of live music with headliner Ugochi. We'll also have food and craft vendors, an arts activity area, and plenty of space in beautiful Warner Park. Find out more at WORTFM.org. I'll see you there. The trap where they went you mm-hmm. for this rich mind Six foot six above sea level. I grabbed the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation, the big sound from underground.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome. It's Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. You are listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. And we have a fabulous show lined up today. We're going to talk about the writer strike. What does it mean? What's going on? How will it impact everyone as a viewer? Um, but also, how does it impact, you know, the creative writing process and people that want to be writers for a living? And what does this mean about... We've been having really great conversations here on the show about workers' rights and and union rights and sort of I wonder how this fits in with all of that. We're going to get to all of those questions and more. I'm really excited. We have two guests joining us from the lovely Southern California, Los Angeles. It's sunny here in Wisconsin today, finally, so I can't say it's awful here, but I have no doubt that it's better weather in L.A. right now at this very moment. Um, So we have two guests joining us. Um, First is... Brie Lee Rose. Um, she is a writer and a member of the Writers Guild of America. Hey, Brie.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. And then we have Joe Flint. He is a staff reporter with the Wall Street Journal covering the writer strike out in Los Angeles. Hi, Joe.
0: Hi. Thanks.
1: Thanks for joining us today. So, Brie, can we start with you? Why are the writers striking?
2: So, we're on strike with the AMPTP, um, which is a trade organization representing the studios and producers and um, the entertainment industry. Uh, we have uh, time to renegotiate our contracts every three years. This is our standard renegotiation period um, where we put forth a number of proposals. Uh, we're asking for sort of different things depending on what type of project a writer works on. So, there's proposals for movie writers, um, those deal primarily with free work. Um, there's long been sort of an unspoken uh, agreement around free work involving uh, rewrites and things of that nature, revisions on movie scripts. Um, and it's sort of become the norm uh, that's making it be so that writers are working for months at a time without pay huh. um, or that their um, pay that they've been uh, promised is being withheld until revisions are finished. So we wind up uh, really being strung along with the project Uh, that may or may not go all the way to completion. um, And our pay is sort of hanging in the balance there. So that's the main concern for feature writers. For TV writers, there's a lot of different proposals um, involving things like AI, um, minimum staffing sizes, so the number of writers in a room, the length of a writer's room, whether or not writers are um, paid to stick around for actual production, um, being on set, being on through post-production, um, there are uh, also proposals on the table for raising minimums, raising um, residuals, uh, but honestly, those are sort of uh, more standard, and this this round of negotiations is different because of some of these other asks um, involving things that used to be the norm when network TV was the norm, and now that... Um, the streaming model has come in, uh, a lot of those norms are being eroded. So it's it's really just sort of formalizing a process that's worked for both sides uh, for decades and is no longer uh, the norm.
1: What are some of the norms then with some sp- specifics of all the things that you were listing of how it used to be versus how it is now? And why do you think it's changed?
2: Well, one way to think about it is that you used to be able to get a job writing on a show and that would sustain you until the show was canceled. And often that would be for years at a time. Um, So I was just reading this morning about a show, even, I mean, not that long ago, five, 10 years ago, um, network shows often had 10, 15, 20 writers in a room. Um, Those people stick around for multiple seasons. You know, we used to do 22 episodes and... um, Your uh, listeners at home probably notice on streaming services, Netflix and Hulu, it's often 10 episodes, now eight-episode seasons, six-episode seasons. So I, for one, as a viewer, often wish there were longer seasons, but as a writer, I need longer seasons. Mm. Uh, I can no longer sustain myself just working on one job a year. Um, What's happening is mini-rooms. So to make the same amount of money that I would have made... Five years ago, working on a, on a show, now I have to find three, four, five different jobs each year. Um, often shows are getting canceled after two seasons now, three seasons, the streaming model is sort of just churning things out. Um, so writers who start um, at a lower level, writing rooms are really highly tiered. So you start at staff writer, writer level, you move up. Um, again, listeners at home probably notice when they watch a show at the beginning of the credits, there's... Tons of names listed, all different kinds of producers. And you think, why does a show need that many producers? What's the difference between a co-producer and an executive producer and a consulting producer? Those are all the tiers of writers. Uh, So we move up from level to level. Often we get promoted between seasons. Um, Your pay jumps, um, your residuals jump. So things like that 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 made writing possible for middle-class careers, Um, the way that the industry is moving, it's just becoming increasingly rare. Um, so now because the seasons are shorter, our rooms are shorter, there's fewer people in the room. Um, oftentimes writers are asked to break an entire season of TV in a month. Uh, I'm reading from colleagues and peers, of being asked to do it in a weekend. Um, so it's just the, the squeeze is on, um, from the corporations trying to find any loophole they can to cut costs.
1: Gotcha. So there might be more content out there. But it really so sort of shortened sh- shorter periods where you really have to jump from one to another. And you're always stuck on the bottom level. There's no movement up.
2: That's right. Yeah, it's sort of feeling like it's, um it's becoming more of a gig economy type of job mm-hmm. and less of a, a career, a sustainable career.
1: Joe, I wanted to get your sort of take on this. You have been covering this for The Wall Street Journal and listening to some of the things that Bree's is talking about. What is what are some of the responses and the positions that you're hearing from the studios?
0: Well, first, uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Great. to And have you. Uh, as, as I was joking with Bree beforehand, since she's obviously well versed to provide the writer's perspective, uh, I will provide some of the industry's Perspective: the companies, the purveyors of content, is what I call them because AMPTP is just too much of a mouthful. <laughs> but uh,
1: right. but that includes
0: uh, Netflix, Warner Brothers, CBS, all the people who you know pay for and distribute content. And I will share some of their talking points. Doesn't mean I am aligned with their talking points, but just to sort of provide the um, you know the the opposing uh, view first i mean uh to brief point the industry has shifted and because of netflix and streaming uh tv we'll focus on tv right now because it's pre-noted. that's where a lot of the uh, divide is okay. between Alliance and the writers Um, you know we do have shorter seasons now shorter show orders and you know the eight or ten episode series has become the norm be it on Netflix or or HBO broadcast TV still tries to do the 22 to 24 episode model but those are becoming fewer and fewer as well and certainly that's naturally going to have an effect on how much a writer may be working and cut into the stability of that now. I was talking to a studio executive yesterday who did say, and again, just offering a counter view that although episodes uh, there are shorter episode orders for seasons, that that doesn't mean that you're spending eight weeks working on an eight episode show that uh, you're, you know, they, they, they are still working a lot of weeks uh, that production tends to move slower in this, in the streaming world. I'm just quoting from a, WGA data here, so again, don't beat me up, be up. I'm just a messenger. Uh, but uh, that their data shows that the median number of weeks of employment for a writer engaged on a streaming series is between 20 and 24 weeks. Now that's, again, that's still not the same as what it might have been for a broadcast world of 24 episodes, but you know, they would argue that that writer is still making you know, high five, low six-figure, just at the minimum. And uh, the gig economy talking point is a strong one that the Writers Guild has been messaging, and and I get it; it it, it works. It's a it's a good message. The uh, alliance would counter that uh, the insurance, the incredible insurance that all the guilds have out here, and I, I think Bree would agree. You've got. To, Really good insurance. Uh, the insurance and the, and the pension fund is what differentiates this world from that of the the
1: gig economy. Fund.
0: So yeah, uh, you know, those are just some of the you know counter counter uh, talking talking points. But in general, yes, this industry has changed. The way TV has changed, you know, Brie brought up the point about writers now not being less and less part of the whole process. Basically, they write and then a show goes into production versus a steady stream of your writing four episodes. Production starts, you keep writing, you're in production. Now it's, you might write your 10 scripts and Netflix or someone says, great, thanks. See you later. Don't let the door hit you on the rear on the way out. Mm. And if you're a creator or a writer, naturally you want to be involved you want I mean I'm a journalist Uh, you know they don't tell me that my work is done when I file my story I have to do rewrites I have to be involved in the creation of the art everything else so I, I understand that point from the from the writers the Alliance would say okay we get it but maybe we don't need as many writers for all that so this is a real sticking point I mean this may be the hill that the writers either again may have to die on or come to some sort of new agreement because this is sort of the major divide between the companies sorry
1: no no what's so interesting is that as a viewer right some right the majority of america that doesn't work in this industry you think now is the time where there's so much content there's so much everything you can watch a comedy. You can watch something that's short, something that's long, something that you love watching with your kids, something that you watch just on your own. I mean, I can think off the top of my head of all the different shows that I'm watching at a time. One that I watch with my, you know, middle schooler, one that I like to watch with my high schooler, one that I watch with my husband, one that I watch all on my own and I don't need any. There's just, so much depth there and versus my childhood I used I remember I used to beg my parents so I could stay up to watch you know um I think Saint elsewhere and 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 sort of those shows and the whole family would sit together and watch our one show and I mean I remember like NBC Thursday nights and like you know the Cosby show and all of that and that was it seemed like the whole world was watching that and there was nothing else and I know it was even more so way beyond, but this wasn't that long ago. So it's this juxtaposition. How do you articulate to the viewing audience where it looks like, wow, this is a place where if you have a story to tell, there might be space for your story to get, you know, written and produced in this day and age, and it wasn't before. How do you how do you explain that? And say, yes, but because it's such a short timeline, it doesn't really make a sustainable living. Bree, your thoughts on that as i going on and on and on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would just say, I think the thing that I notice a lot as a viewer of TV is the time in between seasons is such a huge difference. Mm. I mean, it can be a year, two years while you're waiting for a show to come yes. back yes that is so true yeah and you're sitting there like what happened to that and you're not remembering what happened in the last it's just a very different viewing experience so yes there's more content but the time that it takes to make it sort of what joe was saying that perspective of sometimes you know when you're dropping all 10 episodes at once the sort of like binge it model right um that just changes the way that tv is made also so not only does that affect a viewer experience where you're wondering where are these people that you know I remember as a kid, too, like waiting week to week to see even what was coming next. And now you're waiting a year and you're sort of losing that emotional connection to to the stories. Um, And from a production perspective and from a writer perspective, often we're waiting that year along with you, wondering if we're still going to have a job coming back, wondering if, you know, we're canceled. Oftentimes um, now what's happening, too, is we'll shoot an entire season and it won't wind up airing we'll have writers rooms where we're convened to write new shows returning shows anything and they'll shelve it after you know entire seasons have been written um so it's just i mean uh, in terms of there being more yes but the quality of the experience just from all sides feels uh like i I don't know that it's uh improved
1: joe i know you wanted to chime in on that too
0: yeah, I mean, a couple other things. Well, just to provide the the other, not, not the other side of the coin, but the other part of this, it's true. We're in quote unquote peak TV and never have there been so many platforms hungry for content. And on that level, you might say, what an opportunity to come out here and be a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And certainly part of that is true. That said, what Netflix and the other big media companies are learning is the streets of streaming are not paved with gold. And some of the challenges they're facing, which they then use as sort of arguments to why, well, we love you writers, but we just can't do that right now. Uh, Some of their arguments are because of problems of their own making. And I think this is probably frustrating to, to writers, there's a correction going on in the industry in general, because Wall Street has kind of soured a little on streaming. And, um, you know, in, in many ways, this is the strike that Netflix has wrought, uh, in a sense, because they have created so much original content and they spend 17, $18 billion a year acquiring content, making new shows. These shows, uh, as we were saying, you know, sometimes they come and go literally, They're up there for a week and then you can't find them anymore. And they they have their secret algorithm and data that they don't share with anyone that tells us no one really watched your show. So all that, of course, is frustrating to the writers. And at the same time, they've spent all this money, but they were selling it to consumers real cheap. Uh, same with Disney Plus. Disney Plus came out at like, I think what, $5.99 it's dollars a sub initially or six ninety nine. dollars Now they've raised that price. They're creating a commercial uh platform as well. Same with a, HBO. All these people wanted to establish direct to the consumer business so that folks at home could cut the cord to the cable. But the problem was that they, they were selling it too cheap. And yeah, you know, then so now they're trying to correct all that, spend and the way they do it, of course, is they, they all know how to raise their prices too much and risk Alienating subscribers, so they have to squeeze costs everywhere else, and a lot of that comes on the creative side. Whether it's whether it's writers, whether it's making fewer episodes, whether it's ordering fewer shows. So that's kind of the the, the flip side of this: that uh, you know the, the way the in the recognition that it's not enough just to have a streaming platform and put shows on there. Uh, that's not going to really turn into a sustainable business model, given the amount of money that. The content costs.
1: And Joe, what's the response to sort of the thought of all the things that Bree's articulating and that you guys are both talking about um, the production changes and, and the way um, it, it sort of is a f- much faster process. How how come this isn't a conversation for everyone then? Is everyone hurting um, because of this? Are the studios making less money? Are the actors and producers and set designers and the the Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of jobs and and livelihoods that rely on this industry. Does it feel like it's all even or is there a particular issue with um, the inequities falling to some groups versus others?
0: Certainly. Every big media company is going through challenges right now. Uh, Disney has announced they're going to be laying off 7,000 workers. I mean, that's across the board. So that's theme parks too, but a lot of them are coming from their entertainment operations. Mm -hmm. Warner Brothers has laid off a lot of people. Paramount just laid off some more people yesterday. Now that said, and it's a popular picket sign certainly their CEOs and top executives aren't starving and they're still making a lot of money and they're cutting costs and cutting people to try to boost their stock price so that wall street will say, look at you, good for you. Uh, But to the average working bee in in a studio or a network right now or, or a streamer, uh, they're all coming in worried about their jobs. Uh, And again, for some of these reasons I've, I've mentioned earlier, you know, they they overexposed themselves in terms of how much they were spending on, on programming. I mean, Netflix just wanted to drown everyone in content and then everyone else tried to keep up with Netflix. And meanwhile, to the consumer and, and your audience, I'm sure they sit there going, well, if nothing else, the strike might give me a chance to catch up on all these other shows. I haven't looked at yet.
1: There are so Uh, many shows. Correct. Yeah,
0: Exactly.
2: Well, yeah, and, and I would just add to that. Also, um, Carousel is yeah. something that's interesting about this strike. And you know, you mentioned the other workers. This is the first time of uh, of any time the WGA has strike that we have had uh, representatives from every other union in entertainment uh, alongside us, both at huh. the meetings and on the picket line. We've had representatives from IATSE, which is the um, crew union. So a lot of people, folks like costumers, um, makeup artists, all, all kinds of different departments. Uh, The Teamsters, of course, the DGA, which is the Directors Guild, who are actually entering their negotiations today. Um, So I imagine there will be a lot of overlap between what they're fighting for and what we in the WGA are fighting for. And SAG, who's also entering negotiations um, pretty soon as well. Um, So that, to me, as a member of a union, is exciting because it's not only a signifier that we have the support of our peers in the industry, but that the things that we're fighting for have massive implications for folks beyond us. Not only writers who are trying to come up now and finding, you know, I'm from Wisconsin as well. I grew up in Racine. Oh, hey. Yeah, it's shout out, you know, uh, Dairy State, let's go. Um, but it was really, really hard to break in. Uh, and I think that I'm one of the, the last few who was able to come up through, I started as a production assistant, um, worked my way up. Um, that was a path that used to be very common. And just with some of the things that we've been talking about has been become increasingly impossible. Um, so for folks who are trying to break in in any facet, I think these are issues that affect them regardless of whether they want to be a writer, an actor, a director, uh, a camera person, a DP, any of these things. Um, it's just leading to a lot of inconsistency across the board.
1: We're talking right now with writer Breely Rose and, um, Uh, wall street journal reporter joe flint uh we are talking about the writer strike taking place in of course los angeles california but the implications beyond that um we would love to hear from you if you want to join the conversation what are your thoughts on this our phone number is area code 608-256-2001 extension 9 and we do have a caller already uh waiting to join us thanks for your patience dan what are your thoughts
0: well, um, I in no way condone the unspeakable greed of Hollywood CEOs, but, um, I, and I certainly understand the class issue at, at hand, but I have to address that issue of content. And while I find the writer's loss of income you know, very regrettable, I'd simply like to advocate that the writer's strike be uh, continued permanently in the interest of increasing the national IQ immeasurably. Hmm. Um, okay. In a nutshell, I think we should, by and large, by and large, these guys write a lot of garbage that contributes little or nothing to the intellectual.
1: All right. Well, every once in a while, I think we get a caller that really has a strange He's mad perspective. As He's not gonna
0: take okay. Anymore. <laughs> I
1: mean, there's Can certainly be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Do you want all reality TV. Right. That's not, that's not the solution at all. Well, I mean, I think it's, It's fair to say there are things on television that people don't like, and there's things on television people do like. Hey, that's everywhere. I've got some doctors I can't stand and doctors that are wonderful. I'm an attorney. I'm sure everyone can have their huge long list of the attorneys they can't stand. I'm, of course, everyone's favorite attorney, I'm sure. Um, So there you go. But I did want to ask about... um, Brie, you were talking about everyone coming to the table. Do you feel like, what are the issues that are are united where all these different groups, even the directors, but even within the writers of television writers and uh, film writers and um, I think even radio writers are part of the guild as well. How does everyone address the challenges amongst yourselves before you put forward your proposals?
2: Uh, We had a series of meetings within the guilds leading up to our strike authorization vote. So every time a strike is called, they poll uh, every member of the WGA um, to vote in favor of or against a strike. Um, And before that happens, uh, we have an amazing board um, of folks who handle the negotiations and communicate the points that they're asking for to the members. Uh, and those are often open to anyone to give feedback on or suggest changes or you know direct in other ways for things that um, they don't feel are being referenced. And then we vote um in favor of or against the strike and this year we had over 98 percent in favor of the strike i mean
1: that's Um, huge that's huge
2: yeah it's our highest ever and it was our highest ever voter turnout so the highest percentage of guild members came out to vote and the highest percentage voted in favor of the strike so we're we're incredibly united within the guild um and then beyond that i mean I'm, i'm really looking forward to seeing what the dga and what sag are asking for in their upcoming negotiations as well um so we'll see as, as i said dga begins today and sag is right around the corner there's a lot of issues that have overlap and in, including these shorter orders really affect directors and actors as well and ai is a is a big um becoming increasingly a, a large sticking point for for all folks
1: i want to ask about ai in a second but first i wanted to um get i wanted to get joe's sort of thoughts on the the role of unions I mean, this is such a Wisconsin, Wisconsin had, you know, we were Act 10 a handful of years ago, the protests around the Wisconsin state capitol. We are a a heavy union working state that had unions sort of pulled out from under us. No matter which side of, of the union issue you're on, we were something that unions were part of the workforce in Wisconsin and we've changed to a workforce that isn't union-based as much. And it's so interesting. I'm curious to see if we have more callers. It's so interesting to see the power and the strength of these unions. Um, How does that, is that anything part of the conversation when you're talking, especially maybe as a reporter from the Wall Street Journal, what, what role does union play in, in this industry and these conversations?
0: Well, I mean, uh, in terms of the industry, the unions have always been very, very important. And, uh, you know, most of the gains that have come over the years that writers, producers, directors, actors have made have all been through through unions and, and that strengthened union uh, numbers. I mean, you know, just getting residuals in the first place is because of a union uh actors used to be signed to a studio for you know for however many years with little room to you know do right. any anything else uh yeah it's sort of similar in a in a way to uh um, yeah you know sports and that in that sense of of sort of you know players being able to move around and have have free free agency i mean you know that's may not be the Best uh, analogy, but that writers have a lot more uh, freedom. Producers do, and uh, you know the only way. Look, I, and I, you know, I am in a union too. The Wall Street Journal is a union shop for for the reporters. Uh, mm-hmm. So I certainly recognize on a personal level as well the value of, of our union in terms of trying to negotiate you know, raises every few years just to, you know, keep a modest, uh, modest living. Uh, So I think that's always been just like something in in Hollywood that has been very strong. And right now, given the changes in the industry, uh, we'll be curious to see if the Directors Guild and the Screen Actors Guild follow suit or not, because the Writers Guild, uh, you know, i don't think brie would disagree is the strongest of the of the unions out here okay uh, so so the, you know that whether the directors guild which i i think they've only struck once and it was literally for a few hours so we'll, we'll see what happens there and i do wonder if the directors guild and screen actors guild does reach a deal rather quickly will that put more pressure on the writers perhaps. I'm sure the companies will use that to try to pressure the writers. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Or if there will be this show of unity and if all three go out, well then it, it is a brand new ball game out here.
2: Yeah, something I would just add to that Carousel, also to your point about, um, you know, Wisconsin being a union town. I was speaking with my grandmother about this and her, fa- her father was the president of the Bookbinders Union in Southeast Wisconsin for many years. And we were talking about the strike and she pointed out that um, you know, when she was a, a kid watching her dad go through negotiations with his company that they would sit together at a table, they would hash it out, they never had to strike. And something that is really striking, no pun intended, about this round of negotiations is that so many of the proposals, the AMPTP would not even counter. So like m- many of our proposals, they came back refusal to counter. Um, so it just feels like a, a, a sort of, symbolic uh response uh not even symbolic uh lack of respect uh in terms of these negotiations um uh, yeah, that's really striking for you know folks who might be from wisconsin and, and have
1: uh, different uh, memories of right. what it what that relationship was what like negotiation should be i want to dive sort of deeper and get an understanding of what the process is but we have a let's take a caller uh, for a second sarah has a question about ceo pay what are your thoughts sarah uh, hi, thanks for doing this call. Yeah, I yeah. just
2: hope you can talk a little bit about CEO pay. Uh, and the reason I'm curious is because, like, in my industry right now, we're currently seeing a ton of layoffs, while the CEOs of, are, of course, being increasingly paid hundreds of times more than the average worker. So I'm just curious if you can talk about how that plays out in this industry.
1: That's a great question. Um, Either of you have thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. Um, Thank you for that question. Uh. What All of the proposals together that we're asking for um, are less than 2% of the profits for the industry right now. Um, last year, eight Hollywood CEOs made nearly $800 million. Um, one in uh, in particular that's getting a lot of attention is David Zasloff, um, CEO of Warner Discovery. Uh, last year he made $250 million. Um, so all this talk of profits not being there, uh you know streaming not being profitable yet it it, it's just um we're not asking for much uh in relation to to what some of these folks are taking home and also i mean it must be said uh are all uh older white men taking home these massive amounts of profits where those of us who are um you know younger from marginalized groups many writers of color are the ones who are feeling the squeeze the most so all this talk of diversity initiatives Coming out of 2020 and Hollywood's changed and opening space for new storytelling, it's just kind of uh, it feels increasingly hollow when you look at the numbers in this way.
1: Interesting, Joe. Do um, you? Do, yeah. Do you see a pay inequity in Hollywood that's different that exists in other industries? And what? You were going to come. I was as well. just going
0: to say, and I am not here to defend uh, David Taslov's uh, <laughs> rather large uh, salary. I no. would only point that that is the value of his package. It doesn't necessarily mean he took all that home. There's stock incentives, there's performance incentives. Uh, believe me, his base pay is still in the millions of dollars. He is not starving. He has nice homes uh, in, in Hollywood and, and New York and elsewhere, as do all these folks. And I do think just like much of America, corporate America, there is concern about all these pay packages and, and that how out of whack they are with, with the worker bees. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I'm hoping we're on Wisconsin public radio that none of my bosses are going to be listening in. But I work for a publicly traded company with a few uh, Murdochs on the board and uh, some other executives who make a lot of money. Yeah. Old white guy ain't making that money. Uh, But um, but yeah, I, I mean, it is it is a legit. It's it's a natural issue and talking point that the you know it's just like anything else. The like guy working the line at the Ford factory, uh, twelve-hour shifts is not making what the CEO is 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 making, and you know without the cars to sell, then you know the CEO doesn't have anything. So all of that stuff I think is is legitimate talking points and conversation and to point to, especially at a time when so many of these companies say. We're really having a hard time and streaming is a lot tougher for a business. And if you just come back in three years, really, we'll do okay. I, I do understand some of the frustrations of the of the creative side. And I also understand some of the logic of the corporate side as well, right. because some of the challenges are real.
1: I mean, what they're saying may be accurate, but trying to figure out then where then you cut corners, is that's part of the conversation, right? It, it may not have... Right. That's the story of everything you you think we're, I'm going forward with this business and I'm aiming for this and then woo, didn't work that way. And the the clients and the public didn't respond the way or that, you know, it's always evolving, but it's sort of figuring out them where your values are and what you decide to do. I I think it's so interesting. And maybe this conversation um, that we're having today, you can have it anywhere. But this certainly is a conversation that Wisconsinites can appreciate and understand because we're Uniontown, because we're also, we were saying before the show, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I feel that there's a lot of parallels to Los Angeles and in uh, here in Madison, Wisconsin in the sense that, Everyone that you're listening, stop for a second and think, who do you know that works for the state government in Wisconsin? Everybody knows someone that works for the governor, that works in the capital in the legislature, for state government agencies, for the University of Wisconsin, which is a state government, for University of Wisconsin Hospitals, which is one of the biggest employers in Madison. Right? Of course, we have many, many other thriving industries, but there are so many people that work for the state of Wisconsin and I can parallel that as part of my child in L.A. So everyone worked in the industry. My my dad was a game show uh, TV writer. My mother didn't work in the industry, but my cousin was a, you know, my uh what was my cousin? A casting director. I have another cousin now that is an agent. I have, you know, a very, very good family friend that is an accountant that works for the industry, for the studios. So it's just everyone really has ties to that um i just think that's something interesting to think about Bree, can you tell us a little bit more about um what the negotiation where we are right now with the negotiations you gave us the example of um the writers guild has put forward ideas and that there isn't a dialogue and response there's just sort of a shutdown what is happening
2: uh well right now we're waiting to restart negotiations uh we're waiting to go back to the table uh the strike was called last tuesday um the monday was the last day for negotiating uh up until midnight of that night and um when they were not able to come to an agreement that's when the strike was called and we we started on the picket lines last tuesday um we will go back to the table uh, and continue negotiating i imagine you know, hopefully, hopefully it's resolved soon. Uh, sometimes there can be several rounds where we attempt to uh, reach an agreement. We're not able to. The strike continues. It can be sort of stop and start. Um, so right now we're, uh, we're picketing, we're messaging, and we're waiting um, to go back and see where we land.
1: And Joe, what are you seeing as the response from the industry and, in trying to negotiate and have conversations?
0: Well, it's sort of a, you know, one side says this, the other side says that. Right? The the alliance, which, uh, you yeah, know, the alliance said, you know, is given the sense that the writers were very interested in the strike from the get-go and weren't really interested in hammering out any sort of deal. Obviously, a lot of writers feel the, the opposite is true. And that these, you know, one thing we haven't gotten into uh, right now, one of the things that the strike is allowing studios and Netflix and other companies to do is one, kind of freeze production deals. So if I'm a producer for uh, Warner Brothers, and right now obviously maybe I'm not working on anything, uh, they can um, freeze my pay. And if I'm a producer at Warner Brothers who's been collecting a lot of money for three years but everything I've pitched has been garbage, well they can, at some point if they want, they can use sort of act of God force majeure language to just wipe my deal off the books. So. Yeah, a lot. I think you know, the, the creative industry kind of thinks like, well, this is play. They want to do this anyway. They can clean out their books of deals they don't like anymore and at least in the short term save some money. Uh, I mean, I talked to the other side and uh, I take some of the folks who I've known for a long time at their word that this is not serving anyone. And there's a lot of bad blood that's going to take a long time to heal, even among the uh, Strikers themselves, we've seen, uh, you know, Tony, Tony Gilroy get into it with a with a writer because he's a producer writer, and he was being accused of doing, produ- you know, stuff that is more affiliated with the producer. But the writers are very adamant that you shouldn't be doing anything right now, and so there's there's splits, you know, potential splits there as well. But going back to your main main point, I mean, I do think uh, there's some of these issues that are just going to be very tough to find a middle ground on because look, a lot of it's negotiations. The studios and streamers are offering increases in residuals. They say they're offering the first year general wage increase, the biggest one they've done in over a quarter of a century. Uh, yeah, I can't speak to how accurate that is, but they will point to all these different things they're throwing out there. But this other thing, not to get too down in the weeds, but we touched on it a little earlier, this mandatory staffing and duration of employment, which the Writers Guild is very uh, big on, is, at least for now, a non-starter. Hmm. So that's just something, I, I don't know, they're, they're each going to have to figure out a way to find some sort of middle ground or, or peace on that before I think we see this thing and, and right now I'm looking, to I'm thinking maybe this goes on through the summer. I, I don't know. I, I hope not for a lot, of, you know, for everyone's sake, including mine, selfishly.
1: We have a, um, Evan has been waiting. Thank you so much, Evan, for being patient. And you had a question about AI, which is great because that was the next topic I wanted to talk about. So, Evan, why don't you um, kick it off? What are your thoughts?
2: Uh, hello. Yeah, So I'm a huge fan of Bree's work. Um, and it's important to acknowledge that this type of art does not exist without writers. You know, the People's Joker, for instance, is incredible. Um, and so my question here is, you know, how do you see AI being helpful going forward? Or does it diminish the art completely? You know, it feels like it's inevitable and the strength will continue to grow and be able to write in someone's voice. So do we see it being helpful or something that needs to be banned? How do we approach this issue?
1: Great question. Thanks, Evan. Brie, what do you think?
2: Thanks for your question, Evan. Um, it's uh, it's so new uh, is the thing, and we're uh, I'm I'm really grateful that the union has an eye on it, um, and has put forth pr- proposals that that don't feel um, like a stretch. You know, our proposals were things like um, ensuring that copyrighted material can't be used to train an AI, because what people are finding a lot is You know, AI isn't necessarily generating 100% original material. It's more collecting existing material, shuffling it around, taking a piece from here, taking a piece from there, um, and smoothing it out, um, which poses a lot of copyright issues uh, moving forward. So that is the most immediate concern for AI for writers, um, making sure that our original material is protected. Um, There's also clauses in our proposal about... um, you know, not being hired to rewrite um, material that's first put through AI and then we're sort of in the mix. That, and that also relates to much of these uh, stickier asks that Joe was pointing out about minimum staffing sizes. There's an eye on, um, you know, how that that might overlap with AI, where mm, eventually right. it's one writer who creates a show and works with a robot and the robot writes the scripts and the writer revises them. Um and I'm not, uh, I'm not opposed to being open to AI as a tool, as a writer. Um, it seems inevitable that eventually it will become a part of the process, um, but it feels much less exciting to me as a creative person, just from a personal perspective, like being in a writer's room with 10 other writers talking about ideas all day. I, I pinch myself every time I'm in one to think how did I get so lucky f- for this to be my job? It's exactly what I wanted to do as a kid, make, telling stories with my friends. You know, It's it's a beautiful, beautiful job we're privileged to be able to do. And the thought of doing that alongside one robot alone in a room <laughs> and that being recited, it just kind of feels beside the point of creating and making art to me. So. I'm open to it. We'll see where things go. Um, grateful that the union is attempting to uh, put some boundaries on, uh, on how it's used. Um, but it, not particularly excited about it from a personal level.
1: And what's sort of the position that you've heard from the writers grill uh, writers guild in general about it? Is it similar to what you just articulated or are there some other nuances to it?
2: Yeah, uh, I, I I would say I've, I've heard mainly folks um, on that page. The response from the AMPTP on our uh, AI um, asks was that they offered a, meet, a yearly meeting. Um, they offered no protections uh, and no counters beyond. Um, we'll meet with you once a year to talk about developments in AI and see where that's going. And uh, a lot of what I'm hearing from the other side about um, plans for AI is... You know rumors and whispers and the the dream is yeah one one writer per show one robot per show you know that sort of thing um but yeah I, I think we love we love our jobs because we love to write and we love to um you know be alongside other creative folks um so it just becomes a lot less appealing thinking about that going away
1: well and i would hope that Right. You could see the response from the industry of being, hey, AI is a tool. We don't want to be limited yet. We want to know how to use it and where to use it. But you would think that people that work in the Hollywood industry value the role of writers and everybody that this is a creative art and that's how it becomes successful. Are those sort of the thoughts that you're hearing, Joe, or what's the industry response to AI?
0: Well, uh, I mean, they are, you know, they have some, obviously it's a, a new tool and everyone's curious to see the the pros and cons of it. But, you know, I think they have equal concerns about it because as of now, AI material can't be copyrighted. The studios and companies are all in the business of owning IP. So mm-hmm. you know, they're not exactly like, woohoo. hoo um, I think they have worries as well. Uh, they would say that in their current agreement, There is material language covering AI um, that basically defines a writer. Again, I'm just reading off their talking points. A writer to exclude any corporate or impersonal purveyor of literary material, meaning only a person can be considered a writer. So they would argue, hey, we're happy to talk about AI and, you know, update our language. But just to be clear, there is some language in there in there already. But yeah, I mean, I think AI is a, is something everyone's keeping their eye on and certainly we've done a lot of coverage on it. Look, I'm in the writing profession. On the one hand, if AI can spare me the drudgery of writing the Warner Discovery earnings story so I can work on bigger pieces, great. But on the other hand, I have my fears as well. So you know, yeah, I don't know if it's a driving issue in the talks yet. It's it's certainly got a large shadow and something that going forward will be.
1: and. Joe I wanted to get your thoughts you know we've been we've we've been talking with you and getting a lot of the industry's perspective because we appreciate that you've been covering this and and uh, we'll present that to our conversation but now as a reporter looking at all sides do you see room where there's overlap do you hear one side say something and another side say something and think oh actually it will once you all get in the same room there there is common ground here or, or language and in, in understanding about some some things where room can be made
0: I mean certainly there should be uh and I like said I am not you know yes I've been you know Reflecting the views of the industry in part because you know three can reflect the views of the writer So I'm just sort of playing this straw man right. of the industry right now But no, I, I mean I do think a lot of their concerns are legitimate concerns And as someone who has covered this industry for a long time There is just so much waste and excess everywhere uh, that could be trimmed that might you know, provide for a better use of resources. Uh, and, and this may be true of every industry, but this is the one I cover. Yeah. So just the amount of of uh, money spent on silly things, even getting away from the big salaries of the top executives, but but the perks, the the you know the cars, the the everything, the office furniture, all of these all of these things, this is still, despite all the challenges this industry is facing, and they are, this is still a glamorous industry that probably, you know, might benefit from a little more frugality here and there.
1: But hmm. that's a really interesting perspective. I wanted to get the to- your thoughts on what happens if this continues for a while. Um, Bree, you know, right now it seems... R- remind us right now it's it seems like maybe the daily talk shows the evening talk shows are dark um uh w- what do we expect to see as time goes on and and what does it look like if this drags out for a while i mean once we all run out of the tv shows that we all have backlogged right i'm still i'm still watching the first season of the great and the third season's about to come out so Hurry for no new content for a minute for me, so I can catch up. But once I, once we all catch up, what does then? What does content look like? Yeah, I mean, it's
2: uh, hopefully the strike doesn't go on um, for months and months and months. Um, as you said, right now, the the immediate things you can feel are the daily and weekly shows. You know, the nightly shows are dark. The daily shows are without writers. SNL is shut down. Um, That will continue. In in 2007, um, the late night shows either um, David Letterman's company at the time struck its own deal with the WGA so that they could go back up. Um, Many of those hosts paid the writers out of out of pocket or their staff out of pocket while they were while they were dark. Um, Right around now would be the time that shows for the fall um, are moving into production uh, so I, I know that some of those uh, returning shows on, on networks like, I, um, you know, shows like Abbott Elementary, the, the weekly shows, um, some of them I know have been written, but it, it's it's a matter of um, uh, whether or not showrunners are able to do their duties on set mm-hmm. um, if the writers continue to strike. You know, Joe mentioned uh, Tony Gilroy, the showrunner of Andor. Um, Andor has since shut down uh, because there, there seems to be a lot of overlap between writing duties and a, a, a showrunner's duties on set. Um, you, it's really, really difficult to separate the two and say, I'm going to show up and produce, but I'm not going to show up and do any of my work as a writer. Um, it's really, really difficult to do that. And the same thing happened as well with Stranger Things. Stranger Things is shut down. Uh, the Duffer brothers have said that they're not able to, to do their duties as showrunners um, while the writers are striking uh, their guild members as well. So those shows will be delayed until the strike is over, um, and then also, I mean, the the Teamsters uh, are refusing to cross picket lines. So, you know, many shows, whether they're you know shot on lots or on location, I know shows like Severance, uh, Daredevil, Billions, um, all of these have production active productions going right now in New York um, that have been shut down uh, due to picket lines and, and Teamsters refusing to cross. So. Uh, We'll see. Hopefully, um, hopefully the strike is short, uh, but if not, it will just continue to be a a, a, a holding period.
1: And I wonder what impact that will have, um, if it will make people more empathetic to the writers or one side or the other, if they really, you know, start. I mean, you've named some incredibly popular shows. My daughters love, you know, they're teenagers. They're supposed to love Stranger Things, and they do. And we all, you know, we all get together and watch Abbott Elementary because it's a show that the four of us can watch and, you know, play with the dog and talk about our day at the end of the day. So those are things where, right, my stories are the same as everyone in America. That's what makes these show popular. I wonder how much more of an impact that will have if it goes that long. It'd be really interesting. So in our our final moments here, Joe, what do you think is going to happen next? What do you think we're going to see?
0: Well, I think I, until the Directors Guild and Screen Actors Guild, that plays out. I, I mean, I don't think we're going to see any start or serious negotiations with the Writers Guild yet. Interestingly, next week is when a lot of networks and even Netflix are going to go before advertisers to talk about all their programming they should be spending money on. Ah. Normally, Jimmy Kimmel gets up and does a funny bit where he rips into, you know, exacts and everyone laughs. Obviously, he's not going to do that this year. A lot of the talent is not going to want to upset the writers by showing up at these events. And we will see if advertisers who are already dealing with a tough economy and, you know, various concerns uh, withhold any money uh, from, from the fall TV season until they see how this strike plays out. Because, you know, there's just a concern of like, well, what am I going to be advertising on? Well,
1: it's been fabulous talking with both of you. Thank you so much for joining your voices and all that you're doing in L.A. Um, Joe Flint, staff reporter with uh, The Wall Street Journal. Uh, Brie uh, Leroux, writer in Los Angeles. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Jade and Charlie. And thank you, Jay, for engineering. Mary Jo for staffing the phones. We will see everyone again next week. A reminder you are listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Have a great day, everybody.
0: We come and listen and support it.